I think it's important to not come in and um, say, uh, you guys are all, you're doing this all wrong and, and here's how you do it because you'll make some enemies. And it's really important to build relationships with all stakeholders and, and really understand, you know, what's their experience. This is Aaron May. I'm John Henry Forster, and this is Awkward. Silence. Silences. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. Today, we're here with Meg Pullis-Roebling, the head of CX Insights, Data and Analytics Solutions at BNY Mellon. Today, we're going to talk about selling in research when your org isn't fully buying in. Meg, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Got JH here too. Yeah. I mean, maybe just to clarify a question I had right off the top, like when you say the org isn't buying in, does that mean they have like research resources, but they're just not using them or they're just hesitant to do research at all? Or what does not buying in mean just to, to start maybe there? I think it, it really means that it's not like a fully mature in terms of how they're building products, right? So mm. they're, they're probably not doing that user-centered design process that's so important. They may be doing parts of it or some of it, or maybe some different teams are doing it, but others aren't. It's just not baked into the culture. So a lot of education is often involved. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think that's a great point when we talk about getting buy-in is really, we're talking about if you can make it part of the culture, it's not such an uphill battle. It's not so hard every time. So it's probably part of what we want to do is try to influence the culture to see the value of research, right? Yeah. And and then once it is, once people, once the uh, company or organization is, is more evolved and, you know, it is baked into the culture, then I think that there is going to be more buy-in for the research yeah. part of it because they're really understanding the value of it. But for myriad reasons, it, 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 it isn't there yet. And so people don't just, they just don't immediately understand the value of research. So, so I would mm. say that's the not buying in part, I would say. Right, right. What, what are some of those reasons? Like, so obviously it's part of the culture that they do things a different way, but like, what are some of the underlying beliefs or whatever that are kind of causing things to be that way? Yeah, there's definitely a few reasons. Some people might confuse it with other research that's possibly going on in the organization. They might think that it, it's market research, or that it sounds like and smells like market research. <laughs> and there's a marketing team who's already doing that kind of stuff. Or they might confuse it with some competitive research that's being done by some strategist over here or in this pocket over there. Or very often it can be confused with just general relationship conversations that are happening with clients. So at a highly structured, large organization, there's typically relationship managers who are responsible for the overall relationship of that client. And they have regular conversations with them and they're collecting feedback in many ways from the clients, but it's not feedback that's actionable or structured in a way that's accessible to product teams. It's just kind of on a different like level, the, the things that they're talking about. 
Right. So are they, is the idea that like research is already happening and therefore we don't need more or research is already happening and we're not even sure if that research is valuable. So why Mm -hmm. would we do more or like where are people coming? I think it's more that they think they're, they're already, they already know. They're like, well, we already know what's happening. We've got market research, we've got client conversations, or they think that talking to users means doing a demo of the product. So, oh, hi, here's our, all of our new, here's our new thing that we built. And this is how you use it instead of actually listening, right? Act like setting up a, a structured conversation in a way that's going to elicit unbiased feedback, you know, yeah. allowing for those awkward silences. Yeah. <laughs> so how does a user researcher find themselves in this position, right? So they're hired and they're in a company that is kind of not fully bought into research, but they hired a researcher. So they, you know, there's something there that they have good intentions, but they need some help getting over the hump. Like, how does that situation come to be? Yeah, I think that for sure, there's always going to be a bunch of people, hopefully, critical mass of people in the organization who understand that there is a better way of building products, right? That doesn't involve waterfall, that isn't engineering driven, that is a user-centered process. And typically those are the ones who say, we're gonna start doing things a different way and you know, start championing a project here and there or a, a hire here and there, right? I think it very often comes from UX designers who need and want more information about their users and about how their product is being used in order to do design. So I would say that it it very often starts from within the design team or from a knowledgeable, experienced uh, product manager. So what are, so, okay, so there are pockets in the organization that see the need for research. There are other pockets that say, yeah, research is good, but we already have that. What are some of the other things that might come up that could be obstacles for, for someone in a well-intentioned org or part of the org, they're going to come up against some issues getting their research done, getting buy-in. Yeah, I would say there's sort of two like bigger categories for, for people yeah. obje- objecting. One of them is, is the time and expense required around research. They may be allergic to the word, even research, because... Maybe in the past, they've hired an outside company to come in and do a pocket of research. And then these companies come in and they spend two months, they interview users and they create a big deck. And it feels very disconnected from the people working on the product day to day. And I think that they people have become kind of like distrustful of that process for whatever reason. They don't feel it's super valuable. And also because it just takes a long time. It can take a couple of months to do uh, an in-depth qualitative study. So we can talk about ways to, to get over those obstacles. But I'll just mention another area that that comes up a lot when I'm trying to convince stakeholders to do a study is that, oh, hey, we've tried this before with this other team or um, this other person, and they talk to our clients. And these are, this, is, this is an objection that typically comes from relationship managers. And mm. it is that we've done this before. We gave you access to our clients. You showed them all these great things. And then that thing didn't get built. And mm. we, we look silly. So that's something that needs to you know, 
be managed as well. Yeah, I feel like there, we've kind of talked around this topic and with previous guests, and I feel like there's a couple things that have come to mind. One is like the importance of almost doing research and building trust and fluency with your stakeholders. So like taking some time to investigate internally, like what's going on and what are some of the blockers and, and having that context so you know how to build the relationships and overcome it. And then the other kind of perspective we've heard with some frequency is just get some of these people in the room and like show them the magic of like one on one interview and like show them some pull clips or have them take notes on a call and like realize we don't know everything that we think we do. Is it should people like be looking to take one of those two things? Do you deploy both of those as part of your like toolkit to, to make change here? Or is it something else entirely in your experience? Yeah, I, I would agree with both of those tactics, right? Just like really listening to the relationship manager and saying, hey, like, tell me what happened before and why did that leave a bad taste in your mouth? And here's how we can do things differently, right? We, we can set expectations. Part of this process is getting them more accustomed to showing work that's not perfect and finished. Mm-hmm. They think they may think that's a bad thing and that it makes us look bad. But I think in the end, you're, they're usually clients especially are usually kind of stoked to be involved in the design process. So it's just about the positioning. Hey, we mm-hmm. want to show you designs in progress. And because you're, you're a special client and we value your feedback so much, we want, we want to let you peek under the hood and help us. And I've gotten so much great feedback from clients. Hey, thanks for involving me in this. And this is going to be cool. And so, you know, I try to tell stakeholders these stories as well, but you do really have to build trust and and show them, right? Getting them in the room, inviting to them to the meetings. And I know that there's, you know, a line of thought that's like, you really want unbiased feedback from clients. You shouldn't invite the relationship manager to the meeting mm-hmm. because they, will, they won't feel good giving you the unvarnished truth. Like this thing is bad or I don't need it, but I always invite the relationship managers because especially at first right because they need to see how is this meeting being run they need to gain trust in you and I have found that typically I invite them to the meetings they come to a few and then they're like oh okay this is good right and they just say okay you know send me the recording later yeah they get it yes so before we dive too deep into solution territory I want to make sure we understand so we talked a little bit about some of the problems, stakeholders, blockers, people you need to convince to get buy-in might have. They've had a previous negative experience. They think they already have enough research. It's going to take too long. It's like not good ROI. It's not worth the effort. Like all these sorts of things. To put it in context, right? Like, so these problems don't exist in a vacuum. They exist within organizations. So what are some of the different like sort of maturity levels, different stages a company might be in? Are there sort of like company personas or types that you might find yourself in that you might be able to pattern match and say, okay, like this is the situation I'm in. And therefore these might be some better ways to handle getting buy-in based on the larger you know, context that uh, I find myself in. Yeah, I guess in terms of like thinking about the maturity, like the spectrum of maturity and enthusiasm, I think it's, I think to your point, it's good to have an understanding of where you fall on the spectrum of that maturity and willingness to embrace research. And it can help you 
set your expectations about what you can get done and actually what your job is, because I think you shouldn't go into a, a research role at an organization that is digitally immature, thinking that you can just, you know, get a running start on on various research projects and get going on stuff. You you should probably be aware that you are going to have obstacles and that a, a lot of your job is going to be around building the processes and educating, educating stakeholders about the value and, and not just educating, but showing, right? Rick, piece by piece, yeah. win by win, that this is um, the way to go. Right. And so if you're at, you know, whether you think of it as a spectrum or a pyramid or like whatever visual, right? If you know where you are, you can kind of say, you know, at my tenure here, I'm going to try to move that forward or up the pyramid, but I'm not going to just like go from, I need a roof to self-actualized overnight, right? Like we're going to make incremental progress. And that feels to me pretty important in terms of just managing your own expectations about what, what a person can actually accomplish. Yeah. And to know what, what excites you and what you're good at, right? Like I like building things. I like helping organizations. And so this is a, a good role for me. I, I enjoy sort of seeing the, the slow and steady progress against, I guess, I, I guess I like a challenge. I'm going <laughs> to guess a little bit here, but it feels like as a researcher, there's got to be some tension between like doing things the right way. Like I want to come in and show people like what great research looks like and really do it rigorous in a way that is going to have impact and, and is going to be meaningful and gather good insights versus I need to get some wins and I need to just like find a way to insert myself. And, and even if I'm cutting some corners and maybe not doing things the way I'd like to do it ideally, I'm building some trust with a stakeholder and, and helping them in some incremental way. Is that like a real trade-off that like a, a person's going to have to wrestle with? And where did like how should they think about that type of dynamic? Yeah, I think it's important to not come in and um, say uh, you guys are all you're doing this all wrong, and and here's how you do it because you'll make some enemies. And it's really important to build relationships with all stakeholders and and really understand what's their experience with this process, like I said about the, like talking to those relationship managers, you're like, we've done this before and we got burned. We ended up looking stupid. And so really hearing them and, or a product manager who is like, look, I I have the vision for this product already. Don't come in and tell me that what I'm doing is that I need to, you know, hear from other people because I already know. So you need to really listen to these people and say, okay, what is this vision? And you're bringing it obviously from some place of expertise. So educate me, right? Fill Mm -hmm. me in. And then like, let's work together to figure out what questions need answering. And we'll set about getting those answers together. So I think it's very, it's very much about relationship building, I would say is one way to think about it. But if you're feeling just resistance all around, I think that in the part in the process of building those relationships, you'll find some allies, right? You've, and I, I think it's just really important to focus on those people first. If you've got an ally or two, one relationship manager that gets it or one product manager that gets it and wants to work with you, that's where you start. Um, mm. And that's where, where you start to get those wins. All right, a quick awkward interruption here. It's fun to talk about user research, but you know what's really fun is doing user research. And we want to help you with that. We want to help you so much that we have created a special place. It's called userinterviews.com slash awkward for you to get your first three participants free. 
we all know we should be talking to users more, so we went ahead and removed as many barriers as possible. It's going to be easy. It's going to be quick. You're going to love it. So get over there and check it out. And then when you're done with that, go on over to your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review, please. As we're talking about this, I'm sort of imagining like the new kid, you know, in town, like <laughs> yeah. I'm like new in a company and I've got big ideas for research and I, I don't want to blow it by telling everyone they're messing everything up. Right. But a lot of people have like maybe been in a position for a while. Right. Or like you've yeah. been there for years or a while and you are mm-hmm. kind of realizing slowly but surely or, oh, I you, this place isn't quite as bought into this stuff as I thought they were. Maybe you've even tried I don't know, you've tried to build some relationships or you've tried to show the impact of your work and you're like coming up a little short. Mm. So I don't know, any tips for pivoting or like keeping the momentum going? Like one thing I imagine can happen is not every research project leads to like a silver bullet insight that's going to transform the business. Like how do you show the impact of research over time if every project isn't like a total game changer? Yeah, I always try to keep people involved, keep stakeholders involved in the research by dribbling out little tidbits as we do them. So I invite, as I mentioned, I invite stakeholders to interviews, but then during the analysis process, maybe to send out a little like, oh, this is a thing that we're hearing, or here's a quote, right? Just kind of to keep them engaged. That's one trick that I've done. And Another thing that is like when something kind of lands like with with a, a little bit of a thud might be somebody says, well, like we knew that already, right? And that's always a bummer. Yeah, and right. You're hearing that because, and I, what I try to do, I try to answer when I hear that is part of this work is not necessarily discovering amazing new ideas, but it's building empathy, right? So maybe that this is a problem area and and you're working on it, but just to sort of really hear in real words or Mm -hmm. see somebody struggling with, with a interface or a process, then you begin to build empathy that you, that maybe you didn't have before. Right. There isn't like, you didn't know. And now it's like, Well, that's great. You know, like Jackie, that you already knew that, but like, I don't, I made up a name, but like now, you know, more. The context. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So those are ways. And then just, gosh, getting that research to be accessible to stakeholders is for sure a challenge. You know, these folks are, whether they're engineers or product managers or relationship managers, right? They've got their own fish to fry. They don't, they don't want to lead your 20 page deck. Right. So how, like what, in what ways can you deliver it to them that will be interesting and, and keep them excited? I mean, I always do a readout and invite everybody and try to make it as interactive as possible. But, you know, inevitably people can't come to the readout or they just want the, like the executive summary. And it's, it, it, I won't say it's not hard, but we try to deliver little interesting snippets and like during the research, I would say, and, and those real moments. Like those video clips and those quotes, I think are the best way to kind of get to people. For sure. For sure. That makes sense. In, in a situation like this, is it any easier to make progress on like the generative side versus the evaluative side? Or is it so contextual, it, it's hard to say. But I guess I'm just trying to think through my head of like, is it easier to be like, hey, I'll help you with your next quarter planning. We'll do some like high level discovery stuff and you can take it or leave it and weave it in. Or is it easier to be like, 
hey, this thing you're already working on, why don't we why don't we show that prototype to a few people and see if maybe you know, the copy or, or something about it's a little hard to understand and maybe you could tighten it up. I, I, and, but I, you could imagine complexity on either of those as well. Any thoughts there in terms of like which side tends to go better or is it just, it depends? Yeah, I would say that, right, there's, you know, as you're alluding to, there's a couple of, there's different altitudes of research, right? There's the, the tactical research that is something that you're looking at and it's maybe it's in motion or there's there's a design for it and you want just feedback on some interactions and maybe a little bit of why mm -hmm. there but and then there's the more strategic research discovery work or persona work that can really help build like a more foundational product strategy and both are are super important but these foundational strategic work is more time consuming and therefore expensive. So I would say that to build <clears throat> an appetite for that, you need to, and you need to show wins, definitely start with the tactical research, the evaluative type of research. And one uh, a previous, a previous place that I worked when we were trying to <clears throat> get buy-in for doing research, we, we recommended doing like kind of a, a benchmark uh, evaluative study of their registration process because we knew that registration and login was had several pain points. So we just said, all right, like, let's just go through your process here with a few users, see what their problem areas are, get some reactions. And um, then we would do the same with, with a competitor site. And the results were, I think, pretty eye-opening for the stakeholders to to see really see users like actually struggling with their interface. So that was a great way for that. And they were like, "Well, we need to do this more." So yeah, for sure, rec I would recommend starting with more evaluative, tactical type research to to just get those early wins. What about folks in different? kinds of roles, different kinds of, like maybe you're a person who does research, maybe you do research full time, maybe you're mixed methods, maybe you specialize, maybe you're very senior, maybe you're very junior. So in these kinds of different scenarios, how do you think about trying to get buy-in from where you are? So I think that, I think that the best way to approach it might be to have somebody who's a more senior researcher or a manager kick it off, right? say, okay, we're going to do this research. And because I think that in cases where people are resistant to it, sometimes it's, you need to ask for forgiveness and not permission. Right. Right. Um, so you want to have somebody who's more senior involved so that they can give cover to anything like that type of approach. And then, and then more junior people could, you know, really help with the actual implementation and execution and come up with ways, creative ways to maybe get the feedback uh, where you don't have to go through a, a regular channel, for example, with recruiting, doing something more guerrilla. So I think that there's definitely a, a role for everybody. You need to find some influence, whether that's <laughs> with your boss who has influence. What do you do when your boss doesn't have influence? Oh, if your boss doesn't have influence? Yeah. Wow. I think, again, it's about finding those allies, right? Finding the champions, people who get it and who are willing to say, yeah, let's do that workshop. Let's do that user study. Let's do that like survey with people from Mechanical Turk or just willing to take some risks, what they mm -hmm. maybe perceive as risks to, uh, to get some information. 
let's say I'm a young researcher or maybe someone transitioning to, into research or I don't know, maybe I'm tired of startup life and I found like a well-paying Fortune 50 company with <laughs> great benefits and that's really appealing. Whatever yeah. the scenario, I found a company and I get the sense maybe research isn't a priority. Do I take the job? I mean, I would say, yeah, because just speaking from my own perspective, obviously, you can really have so much impact at an organization like that. And they really need people who get it. I guess you just need to be aware of, uh, you just have to ha have your expectations in line that, that a lot of the work is going to be around the relationship building and education part and showing people what good looks like. These tools and products and services that are that are used by these large organizations, you know, they, they impact the lives of, of so many people. So the work that you're doing is greatly appreciated by anybody who touches those digital products. So, I mean, I think it's just as important, if not more important to, to do this kind of work than, than a small startup that can move quick and, you know, build things from a, you know, a digital first perspective. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, those things are, those are important too, but just, it's just a different focus. Yeah. yeah no, it's really, it's, it's a great point. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective because I think it's. I'm reminded of a good friend who's like a, a real scientist, like who's got a PhD. <laughs> she does like microbiology. She's going to study cystic fibrosis for the rest of her life. And like in that kind of career, if you find like if you learn one thing, like that that your whole career is worth it, right? And not exactly what you're talking about, but you're saying like, yeah, it might be frustrating. You can't like everyone's like high fiving you and your amazing research all the time. Yeah, <laughs> but like the stakes are so high and like making us a, a couple of key findings can go a long way in that kind of organization. Totally. And they're often really high impact. You're often building tools for experts and helping them in their job means making decisions based on complex data. So how can you make their lives easier so that they can focus on you know, more strategic work or more important work, right? And just, you know, help create tools that help them do their job better so that they can, you know, they can, right. they can move things forward in a way that's helpful for everybody. Yeah, to, to follow on the point you said about having the right expectations, like what is a fair expectation for somebody joining this type of situation in terms of like when they might be able to see some tangible progress? Because like I think you know, the larger the org, sometimes the slower it is to, to do some of the change management stuff and win over hearts and minds or whatever you want to call it. Is it yeah, like, probably not like a quarter, but like, is it like the first year I can make expect to make some headway or like how should people kind of like orient themselves on that piece? Yeah, that's a good question. And other signals to look for go, going back a, a little bit to Aaron's question is that you want to make sure, even if it's immature, you want to make sure that people are, the people in charge are at least committing to, we need to do this the right way, right? You need to be, you need to hear some important voices either the CEO says client experience is important or the, the head of your uh, division was like, oh, this is a person who recognizes the importance of it and or, or your boss. But you need to be hearing those key phrases about we understand the importance of this and we want to, that's why we're hiring you, right? Or that's why we're looking for somebody like you. Before, I would say don't do it at an organization where they're not even saying that the right stuff. So right. that, that would be key. But like in terms of signals to look for, like how you're doing, is this going well? I would say, are have you gotten a couple of 
good studies out there? Is it influ- Is it being baked into product decisions? Are people talking about your research? Do you hear them? Either, are they mentioning it in emails? Are they mentioning it in meetings? So I would say that those are some indicators that you're starting to have some impact. Yeah. Now, let's say you've been building relationships, finding some wins, like kind of handling everything the right way in terms of moving up that pyramid of buy-in. Then what do you do? How, How do you push your advantage to take advantage of some of that momentum you might be seeing? So... Pushing the advantages, I, I mean, it's a topic I've heard on your guys' podcast a bunch of times, right? Me- measuring impact. Mm-hmm. How do you measure impact and and demonstrate that the work you're doing is valuable so that you can get additional investment to grow your team and get more resources for research? And by resor- resources, I mean the tools that you need, access to participants, that type of thing. And then, of course, resources means more researchers who can take on more projects. So the goal would be to just to sensibly gl- grow the practice, the research practice. And at a place like a large enterprise, numbers, the bottom line is really everything. So you it's and it's hard. It's very hard to to measure in hard numbers the impact that our research has. But do it any way you can um, at a previous role we were able to demonstrate that by doing a usability study during every sprint actually Mm -hmm. saved us time. So Mm -hmm. we looked at, oh, how long it took the design team to execute uh, a number of stories um, in a sprint. And then I, we started doing user testing for every single sprint. And we would do these like little micro studies on something really bite-sized. Um, oh, should we use a multi-select box versus a drop-down, Or should we do, show percent sign versus percent and dollar sign? Like little questions like that, that we just were kind of causing friction between the research, between, sorry, between the design team and the product team and the development team. And we would do these quick little studies. They would be in field for a day. We would get the data back. And everybody would be like, oh, well, there's our answer, and we could just move on. So we found out that it actually sped things up by about 30%, 25 to 30%, at least from the design sprint side, like the design side. And, and that's real savings, right? And of course, this translates into development time saved as well, because you're getting more finished designs earlier, right? And less rework and all that, which is less tangible. But that number, that 25 to 30%, quicker is is a real number that I could then go to senior leadership with and say, see, this investment makes sense. And, and that was actually really helpful in in getting uh, a bigger budget. Yeah. Yeah. Does there tend to be some sort of like senior champion that like kind of is the catalyst for some of this stuff or is it like, I don't know. I'm I'm just thinking back to a past experience for myself was not involving user research, but it was a change management initiative at a large company from a pricing perspective. And there was a lot of people who were didn't want to change pricing because everything they did was based off of our current pricing. And we did have a very senior person who was just like, look, this is the vision forward. Like, we're doing this. And it, it gave us a lot of air cover when we were trying to convince people. And I'm just curious if there's any sort of, of that dynamic here. Uh, yeah, for sure. It's extremely helpful, right? If there's somebody at the top who is championing a vision that includes this process and who, who gets it innately. But I, I don't think it's always the case, especially in organizations where... 
things change pretty quickly. You might have somebody in charge who, who has the vision and who's on your side. And then somebody gets put in that position who thinks they have the, thinks they understand the user-centered design process. They don't, or they, yeah. they think it's something else. And, you know, that, then things get trickier. And then again, you have to kind of show, don't tell, make those relationships work that are, that are in, in positions of power, but maybe not at the top or something. Yes. Yeah, so you got to do the same work kind of regardless, but somebody yeah. at the top helping you can be like a positive tailwind or something, but it's not going to change what you need to do yeah. from a relationship building standpoint and all the other stuff you've mentioned. Is that kind of fair? Yeah. hundred percent. Meg, closing advice. What it, you know, if you had <laughs> some advice to give somebody that we haven't talked about yet when it comes to the fun and rewarding and difficult and yeah. incremental work of getting buy-in. Yeah, I would say that it's it's an awesome challenge to to work in a place where there is resistance or there just isn't awareness, but it's also super rewarding because you can make such a big difference. And I've had so many experiences where people are like really just thrilled, right, at the outcome of a big study. And they're like, this is amazing. How come we haven't been doing this all along, right? And when you hear those words, you know that you're doing a good job and it's super gratifying. So I would say if you can make a difference with your work and your belief and your passion, then by all means, get involved with a big company that needs help because they do need help. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Awkward Silences brought to you by User Interviews. Theme music by Fragile Gang. Editing and sound production by Carrie Boyd.